0: Welcome to Haunted History Chronicles podcast where we unravel the mysteries of the past, one ghostly tale at a time. I'm your host Michelle, and I'm thrilled to be your guide on this eerie journey through the pages of history. Picture this, a realm where the supernatural intertwines with the annals of time, where the echoes of the past reverberate through haunted corridors and forgotten landscapes. That's the realm we invite you to explore with us. Each episode will unearth stories, long buried secrets, dark folklore, tales of the macabre and discuss parapsychology topics. From ancient legends to more recent enigmas, we're delving deep into locations and accounts all around the globe with guests joining me along the way. But this podcast is also about building a community of curious minds like you. Join the podcast on social media. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to share your own ghostly encounters, theories, and historical curiosities. Feel free to share with friends and family. The links are conveniently placed in the description for easy access. So whether you're a history buff with a taste for the supernatural, or a paranormal enthusiast with a thirst for knowledge, Haunted History Chronicles is your passport to the other side. Get ready for a ride through the corridors of time, where history and the supernatural converge. Because every ghost has a story, and every story has a history. And now, let's introduce today's podcast, or guest. A belief in the possibility of communication with spirits from the afterlife can be traced to ancient civilizations the world over. Our fate after death is the central mystery of humanity. If we exist in some form, spirit, soul or ghost, after our last breath, then contact with those who have already made this transition could provide a first-hand answer to this question. Throughout history, mystics, mediums, scientists, and those just seeking comfort and answers, have claimed to have accomplished such contact. Without evidence of such experience, most claims are dismissed. In the 19th and 20th centuries, advancements in technologies of documentation provided the hope of scientific proof of these experiences and evidence of life after death. Spirit photography provided the first hope for such proof in the late 19th and early 20th centuries with the possibility that the camera could see into dimensions invisible to the naked eye. With the invention of the phonograph and 20th-century advancements in recording technologies, the possibility for auditory proof of the spirit world was awakened. Rumours of electronic voice phenomena experimentation dates to the 1920s, but it was not until the 1950s and 1960s that the first EVP was recorded. Joining me today is Tony Hayes. Tony grew up in Cheshire in England. After graduating in science and physics with chemical giants ICI, Tony left the security of a large company and formed his own training business before changing careers again, moving into government service. Tony has investigated spontaneous activity since his first case in 1989. He is the case manager and lead investigator at Paranormal Investigations UK, as well as a member of the SBR and ASAP. You're in for a masterclass as Tony joins me to take a closer look at audio and electronic voice phenomena with me in the podcast, drawing on his years of experience, research and investigations. So get comfortable and let's say hello to today's guest. Hi Tony, thank you so much for joining me this evening.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Michelle.
0: Do you want to start by just giving the people listening a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Uh, yes, I'm a case manager and panel investigator from Paranormal, Paranormal Investigation UK. Uh, we're a small team of three people. I My background is chemi- chemicals and physics, which is where I took my degree with the ICI, the Imperial Chemical Industries, and then I left that to go into uh, government service with the MOD and later the police service. Then I retired in around 2005 and dedicated myself full-time into the paranormal. And that's, that's the position I'm in I'm now. Um, so um, that's as far as my, my career goes, you know, it's nothing too enlightening. <laughs>
0: Well, I think it's varied. And I think sometimes having um having had various different hats, if you like, does mean that if you are someone who investigates the paranormal, it does mean that you can you can approach it from those different skill sets, which I think is really useful. I mean, you mentioned a couple there, police and MOD. I yeah. mean, that's some pretty unique skills that you can bring to your role as a case manager and a lead investigator. And obviously then also being associated and involved with, you know, the SBR, ASAP, et cetera.
1: Um, yeah, 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 you, you're absolutely right. With um, with the MOD work, that's what really got me interested in the phenomena we now call EVP, Electronic Voice Phenomena. Uh, that was in around about 1984, 1985. Um, and I've continued with that interest because I come from a science background anyway, and then my uh, long-year career in the police service, I know how to report and record cases, which I think is quite power now for anyone that's new into investigation, comes into it the first time. Very often, it can be somewhat uh, a bit lapsed-easy when it comes to actually f- f- recording down what it is you're experiencing, and then you can take that on then to other uh, investigators organizations i am a member of the spr i've been a member for many years the spr as well as the as asap as well which another effective group um so there's quite a strong bond between all the organizations everyone seems to know each other and you're able to seek assistance pass advice back into because we still, even after all the hundreds of years of investigation, we don't quite understand what is happening here with this. So um, no one's really got any answers yet, Michelle, have they?
0: No, I think we like to think we do, but actually it's, I think it's an ever-evolving ever, ever evolving, um, field, to be honest, in terms of theories, but also it's, it's one that's very difficult to prove anything for certain. You know, we can... We can keep adding to the picture but i think it really does take um a lot more very very careful methodical investigation um for, for us to get anywhere i think meaningful
1: yeah because you you pick life so, you know i've been fortunate with the careers i've had before you pick life skills which are useful to you in your later life particularly with panel investigation um i also talked to courses with the Parapsychological Association in the United States, Um, really. So there's always a bit of ghost hunter in everybody. That's generally where people start ghost hunting. You then move into paranormal investigation, which is more into looking at the phenomena, the experiencing, but more and more into the area of uh, parapsychology now, trying to understand and find answers to this strange stuff that we call the paranormal uh, and it's one this is probably the most interesting period of my life this since I retired and came into it full time and I've enjoyed every day of it and continue to do so which hasn't always been that no way
0: and i think you know you touched on some some topic points already that i'm really hoping that we can get into and one of them is audio and evp phenomena because i think for anybody who who comes at the paranormal and starts maybe by watching television television shows, for example? They'll see people using particular devices, they'll they'll have a very kind of low-level understanding maybe of what they're doing and what it's showing and how they're being used. And yeah. likewise, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in terms of paranormal investigators in terms of what it is they're actually capturing, how they can really interrogate that that kind of data. And what it is that they need to be looking for, the kind of the pitfalls as well as the um the kind of like the real gems in terms of what it could be highlighting and showing and showcasing for them. And so, given your background, I'm really interested to kind of pick your brains about this topic in general,
1: yeah. the the electronic voice phenomenon, it's prevalent in our investigations. I would say, of all these various numbers of how many investigators are out there, anything from fifteen to 30,000, no one really knows. But all of them, I would say, have gone into investigation and captured EVP, electronic voice phenomena. As long as they're able to actually distinguish the two between outside environment to a genuine EVP, because one thing that the, the recorder whatever device they have and one of my first advices to investigators is if you're going to go down the road of electronic voice phenomena recording is get a device that you're able to use a lot of the zoom and tascam recorders around now are generally made for recording live bands michelle and there are multiple different adjustments they have certain apps built in such as noise reduction uh high-vis um filters and so on and what you're after really is a basic recorder something like an olympus and the key the second great tip is the actual format that you say the audio in we're all familiar with mp3 aren't we everyone knows what an mp3 is. it was only really designed to be useful to send a recording via email because they're quite small file sizes but an MP3 is a compressed audio format where if you record a, such as if you get a musical CD you purchase from a shop, that's called WAV or WAVE, and that's an uncompressed format. MP3 is compressed. So generally, if you've got a capture and you need someone like myself to analyse it, the better quality of it is, the more likely with enhancement I can get the best out of it The different categories people you're probably familiar with type a type b type c and so on of EVP quality I've never ever recorded such a thing as a type a crystal clear recording multiple syllable where I can clearly define what is being said so they generally need some form of enhancement as long as you can prove that it is a voice that you've recorded. Predominantly with EVP, the most common one is one syllable. Hello, or goodbye, or some some sort of word. Generally one syllable. Are you familiar with the term paradolia
0: Yeah, and I think it, I, I, it was one of the things that I wanted to talk about because I think most people are very familiar with how, you know, you can have that visual, um, kind of your brain... Picking up and making something an image. I mean, if we think about clouds, for example, seeing something in a cloud, something like that is very familiar to people. But the fact is, we have the same thing when it comes to our hearing. Oh, our yeah. Brain does exactly the same thing. Um, yeah. And it's so e- easily influenced if someone else says, Oh, I hear this. Or if you see something come up on your screen where someone has what they think is a really good evp capture and they put subtitles on it where you're reading it as well as hearing it because the minute you start reading it your brain is going to tell you it's exactly what you're reading
1: yeah that's right yeah absolutely because with for, for photograph, for example the giveaway where you know that it's maybe not as quite as good as the led you to believe is when they put a red circle around it, straight away saying this is what i'm looking at and that's often associated with evp they'll send one over and they'll put It's saying, um, how are you? I don't need to be told that. I'd much prefer to find that for myself. And when it is that we've analysed audio, particularly if if the words are going to be such as, um, so will we, if that's what I hear when I pass it over to my two colleagues and say, what can you hear? we've never all three of us have never agreed michelle on what's being said so pareidolia will um play a part in there with it and the other one that i've come across which is people forget you don't just hear audio you can actually see it you can actually visual see it if you're using software to analyze the audio which is a key part of what i do so a perfect example of where things go wrong, where we have pareidolia working, where it was a Friday night about 9.30, and this guy got in contact with me to say, look, I've had a message from my wife. And what had happened is the guy's wife, for the first time since... the." They've had the first newborn child six months later uh, mother's gone away with her friends for the first night obviously she's a bit concerned that she's leaving her husband with this six month old baby for the first time so what he does he sends her a video of the daughter she then shows it her friends at the pub and they bring she rings him up what on earth if you recorded Is a woman screaming so he comes to me so, well what what's this I, I didn't hear it at the time uh, the problem is with it there are two issues one is if we've all been to weddings and listened to the the bridegroom doing his speech now if you were to record that on your mobile phone at the time all you're going to hear is the bridegroom groom talking yet when you play it back the following day you're going to hear chairs moving people walking glasses tinkering and he, oh where's all that sound come from It's because your brain's been focused on the matter at hand which is recording the the uh bright green speech so i wasn't over convinced that he might not have heard this now when i actually put that into the software sure enough it did sound like a woman screaming so obviously there's a safeguarding concern here who is there but when i saw the frequency i realized straight away this wasn't human it was around three and a half thousand hertz it was sounded like a woman screaming and a little bit of research and i found out what the culprit was it was an urban fox that's what the sound was he's quite happy now and i'm delighted because there isn't a woman in distress so sometimes looking at the audio as well as listening to it is uh, it's just equally important if not more important to be honest Another aspect with EVP, which is, uh, I would say as high as 60 to 70%, will be at a tempo much faster than normal speech tempo. So if I was to say the words, hello, are you? That's normal tempo. On an EVP, more syllable, it'd be, hello, are you? Very quick. And on my default is generally around 50%. And it then brings back into... What i consider to be normal speech tempo uh i've recorded vocals for over 30 years and i know when some something is speaking much faster i haven't got an explanation for that but what i just do it ticks the box that maybe i am dealing with an electronic voice phenomenon because we don't know how on earth it gets that because we don't hear it we do hear it after we do the recording um So, it's one of those compelling ones, and most investigators get it. And you see them on Facebook. I recorded this one uh, in a churchyard, and I can hear someone saying, Who are you? Well, have they taken steps to ensure that it's not a noise within the environment? If you're concentrating on walking around in the dark, for example, with a recorder in your hand, you may not necessarily hear that with your ears. But the recorder isn't selective it will pick up everything so i don't know if that's any use
0: no i think it's really valuable and i think it highlights what i was trying to suggest before which is i think people see them being see them being used they utilize the the kind of the tool itself but then it's what you do with it it's how you analyze that and how you can interrogate what you've got that little bit further and in some cases, it's just being made aware that you can look at some of these things, like tempo, um, and start to really just tease apart what you've got, um, and that's the that's the important thing, I think, just to have that greater awareness of it to use it better.
1: Yeah, you. What you, the more you analyze, physically analyze with, um, you get free recording software such as Audacity these days, and cost you anything. So it's not just about downloading the uh, recorder to your laptop, having a listen, put it onto YouTube, whatever. Because people need to remember as well, Spotify, YouTube, all these online uh, all compress the file formats. So if you've already got a degraded audio and start to put it onto YouTube, it's going to degrade a second time. Um, A perfect example of this is that We're running a poltergeist case at the moment in Essex, and we've got multiple cameras in this building to do remote monitoring. Now, what we realized is that these video footage goes directly into the cloud. Amanda Griffiths, my colleague, she then downloads it and sends it through to us on the Facebook message. I realized that the quality of it wasn't very good, but if she puts it directly into her own cloud account, the quality is far superior. So again, the platforms that people use, um, YouTube, email, Facebook message, WhatsApp's even worse, to be honest. Try to avoid that and generally use, if you're going to send uh, audio back into, use cloud accounts and links to download it direct and you'll get a far better uh, quality audio at the end of it.
0: Yeah, and again, I think there's just that kind of misunderstanding in, uh, around that because I think we assume, don't we, that with these different platforms are going to be able to allow us to do what we're doing and not realizing that it's actually <laughs> impacting on the quality of what it is that we're then listening to at the end of it. And yeah. yeah, it's just knowing all of that, I think, being aware of it. And I don't think people are. I think it's that simple. This information isn't necessarily readily available for people to understand some of the pitfalls around what what it is they, they're using and they're doing.
1: Yeah, because it's only over the last probably the last 20-25 years since we've used computers, really that sort of device to analyse as well as move files back and to. Uh, at one point, we used to, have to take photographs. And you get the same problems, Michelle, with video. And a perfect example of this was a Case of what was suggested was an apported coin. So if you can imagine looking at the top of a staircase of a a landing area, and what you just hear is a bang, and suddenly this 10 pence coin just puts an appearance in the middle of the uh, the carpet. It seems to just come from nowhere. The original idea behind this, when this was first presented, is have we for the first time seen a genuine a port. I'm going to presume that you know what an apport is, Michelle?
0: I do, but yeah. for people listening they may not. I mean it's I mean, it's something that's very common in reported poltergeist cases, but like I said, I, I'm not sure it's a term that everybody would be familiar with, so yeah. feel free to elaborate.
1: Yeah, um, an apport would be uh, an item possibly not associated with the property you live in or may have moved from one cl- location to another, for example, a deport would be you put your remote control, which is the most prominent one that disappears. It's a remote control you place it on the coffee table. You turn your head away for ten seconds. You look back, and the remote control is vanished. Then half an hour later, it's back again. That's the apport. and the we generally felt that we may have got in front of us the very first recorded. a a port where we can actually say definitely this is the case. Now, the issue with this was that it was was CCTV that captured this. It had gone to the person, they downloaded it onto the mobile phone. They then sent it to us via email. And you cannot see the coin travelling. There's no image of it at all. But when we then went to the property much later, and then we downloaded it direct from the camera, we can see the flight of the coin. It's there. So we now know that it was traveling through the air and just didn't just appear out mid air it manifest itself, uh, almost like a dematerialization. It wasn't quite the case. And that was because we just took the trouble of getting the original without being uh, having the email uh, or the mobile phone involved where it's changing formats. If, for example, if you're using some cameras and you, you download the video onto an iPhone, it will put it into a complete, it might do an MP, uh, MP4 mp or some, one of them sort of formats. If you're using a Windows-based computer, then it's going to use a Windows media. So it actually reformats the, um, the visual as well as the audio. And that's where it begins to degrade. And it may not always be, exactly what you think it is you see that's the that's the thing with it but I think with audio and an EVP there are it performs differently because we've got to accept that that a ghost is unable to communicate with you via normal means it hasn't got a mechanical mouth and if a human speaks to you sound travels on molecules towards you and the further away it goes, more frequencies begin to dissipate. If it goes through solid objects, it will remove frequency from it. So by the time it hits the recorder, the frequency will look slightly different. With EVP, I generally support the hypothesis of a projected sound onto a memory card, for example, because I've been able, where I'm pretty confident I have got an EVP to be able to duplicate it by other means. It just looks different, if that makes any sense.
0: Completely, yeah, No, it does. Yeah. It makes complete sense.
1: Yeah. So when you look at the um, wraps, which is another one that we, we were we we, were we were going to talk about, the poltergeist wrapping, obviously associated with um, a lot of poltergeist cases. But it's generally that's the most often reported uh, phenomena with general hauntings, high-end hauntings, poltergeists, where people will often say, "I heard footsteps upstairs," or "I heard banging." The had they heard footsteps, or had they heard something else? So it's quite prevalent, and sometimes people say um, the rap. If people say, I've heard of rap, they will generally associate that with the poltergeist. But you do hear them in uh, general hauntings as well. And what I was able to discover about five years ago in a place in Chester, which is central Cheshire, was it was a case um, that we were, in principle, we've never actually closed the case down. And what actually happened when the first lockdown occurred, you know, COVID, and what then happened is that The business establishment went into full-blown lockdown. Everyone was working at home. And the owners decided to fill this place with a full CCTV camera. The cameras then began to alert and we were then tasked to go and find out what exactly what was occurring. So what we can't say is the building was devoid of any human. There's no one in there at all. Yet these strange events were occurring and what actually occurred happened on several occasions captured on CCTV is objects such as the stapler or a tape dispenser would just launch itself captured on uh camera so what we began to do then is to place objects um around each room to see if it could be captured because it needed generally allow bangs such as that sort of sound for the camera to trigger, to cause the alert and the alarm to, to, to occur. So, if you, for example, let's give you a visual, a say a cricket ball, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and I got that cricket ball and placed it on top of a filing cabinet, which is probably about four and four foot away from the uh, the floor underneath it. The cricket ball then falls off, and when you look at it it's CCTV, it appears to roll and fall. So your question is: so when the cricket ball actually falls, you think well, has there been vibration and the balls just fell? You can also do the same with a, a square object where you've got a flat surface. What we actually did then, we, because it's captured on camera, we're able to duplicate the event entirely using the same camera, same filing cabinet, same object, and just push it off with a finger, it falls on the floor. What we realized straight away was that when we pushed it off the desk or the cabinet, if you can imagine like a pyramid, you know, like the Pyramid of Giza, Mm -hmm. you get that sort of shape when the ball or, or the object hits the ground. Yet, when it fell off by unknown reasons, it's almost like a tall chimney of signal, almost like a pen uprise with no side frequency evident whatsoever. So that's an interesting question now, is that if if a spook comes along and it thinks, right, I'm going to uh, move that object, throw it on the floor, its job is over but I don't think it is because it seems to be when the object hits the floor, the camera picks the sound up, I then analyse it, it's performing completely different. It's almost as if it's surrounded in like a glove or a cushion which cushions the sound from ejecting outwards and the reason why when the microphone picks it up it's performing so differently. Does that make sense?
0: That sounds fascinating. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of a different way, maybe explaining it, almost like a sound within a within a tunnel, within a space that you can't see. Like you said, a glove, so that like it's not it's not kind of going outwards, like you mentioned. It is. It's got this barrier that you can't see. So, like you said, it's performing differently. Differently, the sound is different when yeah. you analyze
1: it. Yeah, my colleague from the SBR, Dr. Barry Colvin. He did some work some years ago, and he found the same uh, issue. It seemed to perform differently. His hypothesis was that the sound seemed to be... So, for example, if you're hearing rapping, you haven't a clue where... You don't generally know where the sound's coming from. It it seems to work differently. So, we can generally guarantee that the, the ghost isn't using a physical hand to tapped the table. He suggested that it is a sound coming from within the wood, outwards, and that's the reason why the frequency differed. But I've suggested a different hypothesis now, is that it must be some form of energy that's involved that does the rapping. Uh, so it's almost a way it projects energy into a source, and you get the bangs, the thuds, and so on, that, that occur in different volumes. And certainly, I've investigated four um, IN poltergeist cases. And the more you do, the the more you become knowledgeable the way that this thing generally operates. And what you'll find is when the outbreak first occurs, you know, you probably get old, someone will make a contact, and it's generally because they're hearing noises, they don't understand, Michelle, and it frightens them, which you can understand. Um, you then get involved early, and what you then begin to do when you measure these is over the period of weeks to begin to increase in volume, velocity. It's almost as if it's building up its energy, learning how to use the energy before it finally uh, gets into the higher end of object movements and that type of thing, um, where it's able to move heavy objects. You know. Guy Lion Playfair is quite a famous person. he's no longer with us and I passed away a couple of years ago. He was heavily involved with the the Enfield haunting. With the Enfield case, it's generally Morris Cross that gets mentioned, but Guy Lion Playfair also played a pivotal role in 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 that particular case. And he investigated the case in Brazil of a a fully operational poltergeist where it moved a two-ton Land Rover, about thirty foot. So that's a sort of territory. And Guy Lane Playfair actually saw this with his own eyes. So, and if you know Glide Playfair, he's not one that um, he, he generally says it how it is. And I generally believe what he was experiencing. So, moving an object like a pen or a remote control is probably a piece of cake if you can move a two ton lander over. So, that's the sort of territory we can move into. But undoubtedly, with the poltergeist, we're getting. These things like the, the rapping and the sounds, of it's using energy. And I think, we can, I think we're on the way now to understanding what these raps are because it's not using a physical hand. What is the object of making the sounds in the first place? Why is it that these, these sounds? In the case in Chester, that was an interesting place because what we were able to do there is demonstrate intelligent rapping by asking a series of questions. Um, and what we found is when we initially tried them, we'd write 10 questions down. If anyone tried, yeah, the best way is to have one person in the room alone monitor from a distance, have it preset questions exactly, and time them 10 seconds between each question. So, for example, they have to be yes or no uh, answers. So you might say, for example, I, w- I would like one a rap for yes two raps for no are you a male and you wait 10 seconds are you a female you can generally be flexible with the question depending on if you're hearing the raps and what you'll generally find if you're dealing with an intelligent poltergeist the raps will begin to decrease in distance so initially it may be 10, 12 seconds then it'd be 8 seconds, 5 seconds 3 seconds and I'm dealing with a case now for a lady and she's got it down to two seconds ask the question bang uh exactly two seconds after that then you're dealing with some form of intelligence whatever that intelligence is interesting yeah
0: it is interesting and i think it suggests so many different things because i think it very much plays on that notion of obviously it being something very intellectual but also like you you were talking about how Almost, this energy is feeding the energy itself, and so it, it's it's becoming something much more intense. And I think you see that then in in and in the ability to give a much quicker response and to grow in intensity. So the sound might change; it might be louder. Um, all of those different things. And it's it's I think it's important to start again like, to uncover some of that and to kind of tease some of that apart to really try and appreciate like you said what's happening and to gain that further insight and knowledge as to why you know how how a poltergeist case for example or any other haunting how it initially manifests and then how it changes over the time and what does that then tell us as investigators
1: yeah because we your most common investigation we deal with around about 160 cases per year and i've done for quite a number of years and 99 percent will be general hauntings white spirity stuff then you get the the high-end poltergeist which is incredibly rare um so you haven't got massive amounts of data available to you to actually use to look from one case to the other but they do differ greatly um certainly the case of enfield which is probably the most famous uk poltergeist case i in, initially, they were dealing with rapping, knocks, bangs, thuds. 18 months later, this thing began to talk and the voice came behind Janet Hudson, full male voice. Um, but it took time for them to get to that point. It wasn't instant. And I think when you start to look at cases, because generally, a poltergeist will be gone 12, 16 weeks. But there are some. The case that I'm, I'm with now it's been going on in, in March, next month. It's seven years old, but it has had periods of times, which I call recycling. It goes dormant for a period, and then it starts itself up, and it generally will evolve again. Um, They're the ultimately fascinating what these things get up to. Nowhere, we're nowhere near close to understanding Are we dealing with a dead individual, some passed away, fantastic spirit are we dealing with some form of PK or um, reoccurring spontaneous powers, parasyr- psychokinesis there seems to be elements of, of, of everything in there I asked the medium recently that um, I've got no I've got this psychic ability of a snail I don't sense or feel anything to be honest um, I envy those it can but I have I do keep in contact with a high number of mediums because i'm interested i think it's you've, you've got to be um so I, I asked the medium that what do you think of what's occurring well i don't really feel anything but i felt something on that this other room as well if a poltergeist hasn't been a living person at any point it's some form of like hybrid energy form." A thought, form, for example, is that reason why you, you you can't lock onto this. You don't feel anything. It's quite possible, but again, it's just a theory, and we really got no way to go. We don't understand what on earth it is. Um, in the case of Hanfield, the everyone suggested that it was associated because of Janet Hodgson and the sister Margaret of a female reaching puberty. But if you look at other cases, like the South Shields poltergeist, there wasn't one. There's just an 18-month-old year boy. So he's not reaching puberty. And the case that we're dealing with now, that has nothing to do with teenagers reaching puberty. So sometimes you can go on, well, because it can be sent on a wrong path, uh, pathway, and it's come to a red herring, so to speak, because we simply don't know what it is. Um, they do exist. Um... But understanding it's the million-dollar question, really. um, Fascinating.
0: If you've been enraptured by the chilling tales and enigmas unveiled throughout our podcast spectral journey, now's your chance to become an integral part of our ghostly congregation. You see, as we delve deeper into the mysteries of the past, we need your support now more than ever. But fear not, for there are a myriad of ways you can help keep the supernatural flames burning bright. Firstly, have you ever considered treating our podcast to a virtual coffee? Picture it, a humble offering to fuel our relentless pursuit of haunted histories. Just head over to ko-fi.com forward slash haunted history chronicles and join us for a caffeine-infused seance. But that's merely the beginning of our spectral soiree. For those intrepid souls yearning for deeper communion with the paranormal, consider joining our exclusive Patreon family. From March onwards, our Patreon page will be a haven of clandestine content, with weekly podcasts and daily long and short-form offerings. Yes, you heard it right. Daily doses of the supernatural, a veritable paranormal advent calendar for your soul. So why hesitate? Journey forth to patreon.com forward slash hauntedhistorychronicles and become a patron today. But wait, the spirit of generosity lingers still. If you seek to flaunt your allegiance to the Haunted History Chronicles in more tangible ways, venture into our newly unearthed merchandise crypt. From mugs that whisper their secrets, to clothing that echoes with ghostly laughter, our shop is a sanctuary for the discerning paranormal aficionado. Just visit tpublic.com and traverse to the Haunted History Chronicles shop page to adorn yourself with our spectral regalia. Whether it's bestowing a virtual coffee, joining our spectral society on Patreon, or donning Haunted History Chronicles apparel, your support keeps the ethereal flames alight. Remember every spectral contribution fuels our pursuit of unearthly truths, propelling us ever deeper into the realms of shadows and whispers. So heed the call, dear listeners, the links to our spectral sanctuaries await in the shadows of the podcast description notes, as well as our haunted haunts on social media. Dare to embrace the unknown, to journey deeper into the veiled corridors of history, for only together can we keep the ghostly embers glowing, illuminating the darkness, with tales untold. Now, let us return to the mysteries that beckon from beyond the veil. What spectres await? What secrets lie dormant, waiting to be unearthed? Let us venture forth, for the journey into the unknown has only just begun. I I think part of the problem is something that you mentioned earlier. Because this is a phenomena that doesn't happen all of the time, Um, there aren't as many examples of it. I, and I think because of that, there has been, there's been some typecasting in the sense that, you know, Poltergeist case will always look like this. It's it's usually around a young teenage girl, or it's very short lived. It's only going to last a certain amount of time, and then it stops. And you know, there are things that change. They're not always the same. They are much more complex. And I think it's growing that picture and really trying to tease about tease apart the detail. Yeah, to,
1: cause, to, so, again
0: to keep adding to it.
1: Yeah, because sometimes people too often look for the for smoking gun. Why did yeah. this trigger? The, the SPR's uh, terminology with it is spontaneous activity, spontaneous. And that's correct. It just comes from nowhere. And sometimes you can't find a smoking gun. Why this could occur. And sometimes we just don't know why this happens. There are certain dynamics, because um, you know people have said over recent times, it could be stress-related. That's the energy source. That's the reason the person's stress. The person becomes like a human agent, PK, and so on and so forth. Well, it's stress-related. Well, how many households in the UK have got stress? 95% of them, would you say? <laughs> i so to be honest. <clears throat> yeah.
0: I think we'd all be having poltergeist cases and activity in all of our homes if yeah. that was the only, the only source of what was going on.
1: What we can say with the poltergeist is ultra, ultra bizarre. This case now is seven years. I have got the okay to talk about certain aspects. I spoke to the householder last week and uh, said, look, I'm doing a podcast. and so may need to reference certain areas of it because you know, it's important that we make it as interesting as possible. But if I was to say for you, for example, um, I've been dealing with a case that for the last 14 months and we are in daily contact with, um, with the family. We've got ca- cameras, four remote cameras, which we uh, operate, uh, keeping an eye on this one. What would you consider to be a in total number in, say, 12 months of activity? As a, as a guess, I'm just interested to see what your thoughts were.
0: Um, oh,
1: less than ten. Less than
0: ten.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you would think that somebody's got um, something in there going on in uh, the house last twelve months about 10, 10 or so events. Yeah, yeah, around then. Yeah, I can tell you. I can tell you exactly uh, how many because we we keep a daily diary, which is 838 separate events since the 30th of october to last week 838 events wow including 500 sorry 458 coins just come from nowhere um it will switch tv channels over at random monitored by cctv it will write into search engines as well in the cc in in the the television it will flash one of the strangest things We've seen there, again, all managed on CCTV is one room will just flash its head off, its light. Change the lights, makes no difference. It just flashes anyway. Then nothing happens. Three, it moves on to something else. Trying to find a, a, an answer for this family is proving a, quite a challenge. Um They find great comfort with the cameras, um, which is good. Because I think when people... When it comes calling, the first problem that people have is people is the believability side of things. People believing what you're saying is an obstacle, a challenge for the person that's telling you. And sometimes we can be quite guilty by we saying, Well, where's your evidence for this? Where have you got any video? We got any audio, we've got any picture But you also need to consider if you've got six or seven people or witness something utterly bizarre, you would prosecute a person based on on six or seven statements, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, Take
0: absolutely. them
1: to court. So why do we not apply the same science into... And we, we generally do. People do like the evidence, and we have got this with this property. We haven't got any closer to understanding it, but what we have got is um, it's probably the most closely monitored case on record and at some point in time it's going to become spoken about but because it's a live case obviously i, I just can't compromise the location or the individual because
0: you know, can you uh, imagine you'd have half the country probably descending on there to try and see what was going on mm-hmm. you know, that kind of attraction isn't it that interest that just yeah can spark and go out of control so anonymity is absolutely crucial whilst a an investigation is going on, but also B for the for the family still living there and undergoing
1: Yeah, yeah, because it's like those uh, examples that it gave you. You know, if I was to say four hundred and fifty eight kinds have been imported into your property, people listening think I don't believe that. Um a television that writes in its search engine six 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 on other words wouldn't believe it. But they do when it's captured on TV, CCTV, and this is when, you know, when you're faced with this as an investigator, it is a challenge, the believability aspect, Michelle. It's gotta be, because you're dealing with ultra-bizarre uh, phenomena that's being reported to you. You know, uh, my husband was sat on the bottom of the stairs and the Hoover just lifted itself up and smashed him into his face. If you hear this, are you gonna believe it? The answer is, you're going to have your doubts, aren't you? You'd have to be...
0: Yeah, uh, most people would.
1: Yeah. So sometimes when the investigator becomes the experiencer, uh, the dynamics changes <laughs> because, you know, when you moved into that territory, when you see something so profound that you think, any doubts, lingering doubts I may have had over this bizarre phenomena. Is now ended, and you become more committed to the cause of trying to finance it. Because, you know, what is the message here where a coin is just a port from you just hear a tinkle and you've got five, ten pence, one piece, two pence coins on the floor? What's the relevance? Why, where have they come from? Um, why are they there? I don't make any sense out of this one at all, you know. Unusual. A container toss being thrown around a bedroom is another one of a recent time. It's not associated with the house, yet we don't know what's the relevance to that. Um super, super strange. Um
0: and I think it's also I think it's also really strange some of the phenomena that is very specific to poltergeist cases, which again are so bizarre and unusual and in you know can be quite extreme if we think about um, the ability to set fires, strange puddles of water appearing, all of these other things that can occur, and yet trying to understand how is that possible? How is that happening and why? What's going on for these for these things to happen? And why we have these certain commonalities in a lot of the cases.
1: Yeah, the, if you look at the world worldwide of the poltergeist cases, we the UK doesn't have too many, what they call the fire starter poltergeist. I think the last case that I'm aware of is 1986 in, in Gloucester. Apart from that, there are very, very few of them. Yeah, if you go to India, Africa, United States as well, they've had a few of these pots. UK, thankfully, we don't get many of them, if any. Um, every case is bizarre and unusual, and it's very difficult to understand the, the, the rationale, what, what's occurring. where, How did it start in the first place? And why does it manifest in this way? If you're dealing with some sort of troubled spirits, that's lost or whatever, moping around your property, trying to get uh, a message to, it uh, might be a relative or a friend. You can understand that, but the poltergeist is something completely different, and it's really difficult. And every case is so radically, radically oddball. Um would you like to give you a prime example where I'm to us in September?
0: Yeah, no, please do.
1: This is when the investigator comes the experiencer. Now what actually happened in the end of August, September, the family of this property in Essex moved and went on to holiday and opened the property up to us for a week. So I'm based in central Cheshire, Amanda is uh, based in Staffordshire, my other colleague is based in London. So we all met there and decided we we're going to stay there for five nights and six days. Bought ourselves in a property, let's see if we can experience this first hand. This is the second investigation, the previous one we've done when the family were in property and we just stayed in the hotel. So... What I've decided to do, we, we need to live like the family. Try to cook, wash, shower, do everything the same as what the family did. And that's just experience in the property. We had some general things we were going to do, such as energy measurements and so on. So the first night we arrived back, um, we'd gone out for tea, come back about nine o'clock. You see me on CCTV, go in the kitchen. I've got the car. I put my car keys on the side of the uh, kitchen surface, captured on CCTV. We then uh, had a coffee, sat down for the night, went to bed. Following morning, we wake up. Now, what I've got to do now, could, coming on to lunchtime, is go to the shop to get some uh, bread, some sandwich meats, and cheeses and stuff. I can't find my car keys. So I search Shine Low, can't find it. Now, uh my colleague, Andy Drinkwater, he's based in Chester, he was monitoring the cameras from there. So I said to Andy, look, can you go and find out what I do with my car keys? Because I remember coming through and I thought, well, he said, they were on the kitchen. You put them on the kitchen. But I can't see what's happened from since. Now, because it's Keyless Car, I've got a problem. I've got no car. I'm 260 miles away. And I thought, well, we're just going to have to find them you know, looking through coats, pockets, I've mislaid them. Um, we can't find them. So anyway, I walked to the shop, come back. That night, we're setting up now a second camera because we were sleeping in all the, it's a four bedroom house. Each one of us has selected a room, we're staying in, and we're going to put cameras in there. So we set them up. So Amanda Griffiths now goes to what's called box two to get a lead out which is all we've done is taken it out the car, put it into the into the house, boxes are put on top, takes the box off the top, goes into the bottom box. There's my car keys at the bottom of the box. Now, no matter how we've looked at the CCTV and analysed this, the three of us come away scratching our head. What happened to the car keys? The following day, I smoked cigars particular uh, brand of cigars so I've taken a full brand new box of cigars and a lighter they disappeared and I've never seen them since so from an experiencer what happened to me did my colleagues uh do this as a practical joke
0: uh,
1: on the CCTV both cameras kitchen camera and the hallway camera not the case no one went near that route that box too <laughs> How did the car keys get there, Michelle?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> I'm scratching my head as much as you. And
1: um, and what actually happened with that when it came out of it, um, we actually do a, a report for the SBR because it's in a way it was like a joint investigation with the with the cells leading it, but with the SBR involved with it. They've been an absolute godsend to this one, which is incredibly complicated Kate, And I had great difficulty wanting to talk about this event, because no one's going to believe a word I say, Uh, people now listen, I don't buy that one. It's actually true, and it moves you into territory of the experiencer, which is often the paranormal investigator when they're dealing with with clients that can't contact them. They're telling you bizarre stories. You know, bananas that disappear, never to be seen again, is is another one that's happened to one case that we've had with. And how many of these do you hear? You know, I mean, how do you get people? It's not a question of getting people to believe; they believe people believe whatever they 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 want to believe. But it's uncomfortable for the investigator when it suddenly becomes the experience that I'd never had it before. I don't know if anything's ever happened to yourself, Michelle.
0: Well, I was just I was just going to say that I've had an experience of. only a very small number of us going into a property and um nobody else it was locked the house was locked um behind us and we went upstairs so there was nobody downstairs and we kind of done a a a walk around everywhere so we had been around all the rooms downstairs and we were basically going upstairs to check out these other rooms um so we knew where everyone was we knew no one else outside had access to the house and in the living room in this house was a chess set on um a table and when we came downstairs, one of the pieces from the chest set that had been on this full set, this board that'd been laid out in the living room, one of the pieces was literally laid at the foot of the stairs, just laying there in the hallway. And as I said, we were all upstairs. This was a this was a house where poltergeist activity was reported frequently. And <laughs> again, it's again very similar to what you were just saying of. None of us could explain it because we were all upstairs. There was no one else that had been in the property. It was locked. Every window was shut and locked. Every door was locked. And the only people in the house were all together in this very tiny house. I mean, you could hear a pin drop if someone moved. We were all upstairs in each other's company. And yet this piece was missing from the living room chess, you know, the chessboard. And had been placed purposefully, I think at the foot of the stairs where it was going to be clearly visible to us the minute we all started to come back down from upstairs
1: yeah yeah gee, that's a then, example how do you explain it <laughs> yeah yeah the,
0: the,
1: and this is where i think for for me because i i generally deal with the client from the outside is i have a lot more empathy now because i've experienced something bizarre which i know which generally people they oh yeah a likely story um uh, but for me, it did genuinely happen, and I haven't got an explanation for it. And that what example that you've just explained there is another fascinating story of these things that occur, and we haven't got a even closer rational explanation why, what's the relevance of this? You know, you can... Um, it, it, I'll never understand, you know, because if my... We can never be a hundred percent with anything that we experience, but I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain. My keys went from the kitchen into into a box which had been left unopened and stayed there for a day and an hour. How did it get there? We can't see it on the the camera. Um, it seems to have disappeared from the uh, the work surface into into a box, and we uh, I don't know. And like that, when it happened, something. Utterly bizarre. Uh, what is the physics that's occurring there for this to do this exchange, you know?
0: Um But I think that is the that is the thing, that word physics, it's what what energy, what's what is happening, what's the science behind some of these phenomena that you're seeing, whether it is the puddle on the floor, whether it is the spontaneous fire that erupts, whether it is something being moved around, and these very peculiar sounds that are heard these these are all these types of phenomena how is it that that is somehow being projected in, into the space how is that manipulating the environment to create that to create that phenomenon and that's the really that's the puzzling question that i still don't think we analyze and talk about enough
1: no i think when you there has to be an energy involved here for these things to occur there has to be I don't believe for a second that you can move an object on on thought alone. There has to be some form of energy transfer, however, that takes place. And I think with the the Chester case that we dealt with, with the the move, we had loads of movements of objects. This other case we haven't had so much. It's more a ported objects directly into it. And this is where we looked at the energy side and think, well how what we experience there is like a form of compressed energy, almost like a balloon, and then it projects it into the area, the balloon skin disappears, and suddenly this energy uh, is transformed and does whatever it is it wants to do, move an object, make a sound. It's really, really difficult, and even when we've taken uh, some real high-end equipment in with us, We've never been able to really measure it, not in the, the numbers which we would expect to see. Um, we simply don't know. Are you familiar with the twin slit experiment?
0: I'm not. You'd have to walk me through that one.
1: Yeah, the, the easiest way with that one, I think, because it would be 10 minutes trying to explain it to you, is to probably just make a note of it Call the twin slit experiment and look at that. That may give you some ideas of the, the area that we're looking into when we talk about the physics we may actually be in the realms of the um the, the quantum uh physics side where the suggestion is something like a monetary atom for example would have a conscious thought um you'd have to look at that one separately and and, and digest that i wouldn't be able to do it justice because i think you need the visual aid of actually seeing the video playing with that one, for that one, Michelle. So
0: I'll try and find it, though, and share it for people listening so that they can they, they can have that as a reference point once they've listened to the podcast.
1: Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely, yeah. I think anyone listening to, to, to go onto YouTube will put Twin Slit Experiment and they can see a genuine scientific proof that this is a genuine thing that occurs, this is reality. Um, it appears to be that an atom has a conscious thought and can change what it's doing just on the point of the, the stage of observation, which is something which is interesting with the the poltergeist. It's incredibly rare, if not unprecedented, to capture its behavior on camera. Uh, the case that we're dealing with now, three nights ago, a comfort, you know, the comfort liquid, the alpha um, put in washer and a washer. Yep. It was on the side. And the male household is having his tea in the kitchen. You hear this bang. You can see him react and look over. And he, he, he notifies us. We then access that camera. But it's just off camera. We can hear it and we can see his reaction. But we can't see the comfort bottle, which is apparently just lifted itself up and dropped onto the floor. It's just off camera and you get a lot of this just off camera, it's always catching you at, at your most vulnerable when you're not quite with it, you know. Um, is there a science behind that? I don't know. You know, it's an easy excuse to use. Uh, the poltergeist doesn't want to be captured on camera, therefore it does everything off it. Um, but in my experience, that's that's the case. That's how it
0: seems to operate the quantum physics aspect of it is is one that i think has uh, for me i think it's the next step it's where i would like to see a lot more kind of research and work done into it because i think there are so many possibilities when you start to tease apart consciousness um quantum physics the relationship between them and when then you start to think about all these different theories about entanglement etc i mean there's so many things that could then be explained when we start to kind of see that duality between...
1: Because sometimes we have got the science to just give us some clues, if you look mm. for them. And what we're talking about with the paranormal is the hypothesis is the afterlife. Yeah. Is does the consciousness survive bodily death? And, you know, the, the physics for 100 plus years are uh, about said, well, how can a consciousness energy survive when it's in its brain, the brain dies. How does it survive? It's, it'll dissipate like smoke.
0: But, like a battery, you know. Yeah, that's it, right. It, it's but it's got a cell life; it dies. It gradually disappears.
1: Yeah. Now Einstein always said energy cannot be destroyed; it can either be transformed or transferred. And it wasn't really till twenty thirteen when Dr. I think it's Peter Higgs, uh, dis- able to find the mythical, what they call the ghost particle. Because if you look at um, an atom, everything's atoms, isn't it, Michelle? Every single thing is all atom. Without it, the universe doesn't exist. What physics is long theorised is how does an atom, which is going to contain a minimum of three components, one neutron, one proton, and one electron with a nucleus in the centre, how does them four components remain together in one single mass so what he was actually do using a particle accelerator by impacting atoms against one another what they're able to detect is much smaller minute particles almost like a glue that keeps the atom structure together does that make sense
0: yeah no, know completely yeah? i think that's a really good way of actually explaining it yeah in a very simple way
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah. it sticks together like a glue so therefore, when a, an individual passes on, the consciousness can in fact survive because of, they actually call it the Higgs boson particle. The consciousness can survive because of the, of the Higgs boson because it's glued and stuck together. It doesn't dissipate like smoke. It could continue on, and will, as Einstein said, either will transform or transferred into some other uh, entity dimension whatever it is that comes under the umbrella of the afterlife. So I think science in that way can explain that the consciousness undoubtedly can survive because we've got the science to back that up. The other areas is we need to go much deeper. And I think, um, you know, for hundreds of years, you know, the SPR been going for 137 years which is a long time we're barely scratching the surface of our understanding of what is actually occurring here and it's a fascinating subject because if you look at people in the UK, there's 65 million of us 35 million of us generally believe that um, the in in spiritualist ghosts and spirits, 35 million. So that's quite a way it will be in worldwide. And the other science side is where you do the research. We mentioned about EVP. Now, um, those practic- practitioners of EVP that have dealt with hundreds of them will generally say, out of a standard hundred EVPs, 70 of them will be male compared to 30 female. Why is that? Well, if you take that point a little bit further into the area of, you're familiar with past lives, yeah?
0: Yep, absolutely. Not
1: not past life aggression, it's past life. So this is generally uh, kids at the imaginary fence. So it may be between two and six years of age, which is where the child appears to have unusual information, preferably pre-internet days, which she shouldn't have. I used to fly on a Corsair uh, airplane. I was killed in the Second World War. I crashed in Imojima in Japan. A child of five wouldn't necessarily have that information. Now, Jim Tucker, who investigated over 3,000 cases of past lives within children, what he found is on the 3,000 cases he looked at, all of them, uh, 70% were male compared to 30% female. Now, that doesn't suggest, for a second, that more males get reincarnated than females. Because what it does do, it mirrors exactly... If you take a standard 1,000 unnatural deaths, unnatural being murder, suicide, war, conflict, that type, multiple accidents, it's generally 70% male compared to 30% female, because male generally takes more risk with his life than a female does. So here we have a pattern of um, past lives, which is 70% male to 30% female, mirrors, unnatural deaths, that's 70-30, and EVPs are 70% male compared to 30% female. Are they relevant to one another or are they all red herrings? It's left to the yourself to decide on that one but interesting all the same isn't it
0: oh my brain's already starting to go down certain rabbit holes with that information i'm thinking crikey yeah that's that's some very interesting
1: uh... we we can back that though that's that's something that science has proved in all three cases happens to be the 70 30 equation did it get any closer to understanding maybe not but it is hard fact it's not an invented theory you know the um, he seems to be that way inclined and may give us some sort of answer to what's going on out there
0: it's fascinating and again this is this is what I think is so intriguing when you start to start to go down the path of investigating the paranormal because there are just so many aspects to it and things to st- things that you can uncover and more questions that then come up and then more questions after that and it, it is something that I just think is such a big, concept and there is so much that we don't know um and just not enough people really investigating it unfortunately and really bringing together all the skill sets from different kind of aspects of professions experiences backgrounds like they would do in terms of other science other areas of science which is the shame
1: yeah anyone that as a a passive interest in the paranormal uh i highly, highly recommend that you join organizations it's asap which is for electronic it's only five pound a year 20 pounds a if you want the magazines come to your post but five, they have w- uh, webinars every thursday night um every every week every thursday this brings like-minded people together and they're not generally they're not all uh, it's not academia, it's not all pan obviously it's general people have a general interest in this. This, And likewise with the SPR, you know, it's more academia-based, more science-based. Both organisations offer fantastic resources, particularly the SPR, they go back to 1884. You know, the, all our archives are, are now slowly but move, moving online to be available. Paramount was people like me. that get a complicated case and we want to do the best for the family and at the same time try to uh, understand it because there isn't any of us out there that know everything. Um, mm-hmm. You need, often need to go on to resources. You had Randy back on, didn't you, at some, at a few weeks ago?
0: Yeah. The American? Yeah. Just before Christmas, really fascinating conversation. But you know, and I think this is the key thing. Everybody, all there's, there's different things and approaches and kind of key takeaways that you learn from talking to different people, or hearing from different people, or reading different articles. And I think that again is that the main takeaway is that not to be in that vacuum, like you were you were mentioning. You know, being more aware of what's out there and who's out there to help as part of that journey.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's a heck of a journey. Um, you know, I could do this for the rest of my life and probably be a little bit closer to understanding. But, you know, we live in hope that we'll find one day that the ultimate smoking gun. But um it appears that we only seem to be, we can find so much, but not everything. And it's the most frustrating job you'll ever get involved with because you also have to become an an expert in things that you'd never thought you'd be an expert in, such as crickets, cuckoo birds, cows, foxes, all these strange things that you need to suddenly, you know, hear some sounds, and you need to. your job is to go find out what it is. And it happened to be a cricket, another occasion, it was a cuckoo. And you got these other different dynamics to it, and you become almost like a jack-and-all-trace trying to find the answers, because sometimes you can find rational explanations for not everything is paranormal by any stretch but sometimes you're left with no alternative then yeah. something quite unusual is, is occurring here and you know, will we find out what that is? Because I, I don't know what you know, we all, you know, I'm quite sure you've had this thought yourself if we're ever to have absolute conclusive proof of an afterlife. the world will change in an instant won't it
0: it would completely
1: and i'm not sure that that it would be good one it'd be a positive way I, I don't know maybe uh it's a question for another day but an interesting one all the same
0: i think it would i think for half the population it would be deeply unsettling to have have certainties around what that means because I think it shifts their worldview either either one way or the other and I think for a lot of people that is hugely disconcerting and then to think that there might be things happening around you that you can't see yeah I'm, I'm with you I'm not sure that for some it would be something that they would be able to cope with um,
1: no I think you're right um, I don't think it would do because areas such as religion you yeah. come into problems um there are issues with that but people like myself because of careers you get older you lose friends loved ones and knowing that there is something else out there when eventually i pass on has to bring a form of comfort because bereavement and grief is soul destroying to any individual that's gone through it. Uh, I've gone through it a number of times and I'm quite sure you've experienced it yourself, Michelle. It's deeply yeah, un- it's deeply unpleasant, but hold on to the fact that, you know, when we do pass on, there may be something else waiting there for us than the place that we live in at the moment, because it's quite an unsettled world, isn't it? <laughs> it
0: is, yep. Yeah. You only have to turn on your news um, on a night and you think, gosh, yeah, it's it's horrible some of the things that we kind of have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And and like you said, I think sometimes for some, it is absolutely something that is a source of comfort to know to know that and to have that belief and that certainty of something after death. And for others, it's completely scary. And I think if it was proved certain or if it was disproved, either way, there are going to be people that are upset with the outcome. And I think that's the difficulty, and I and I don't know if that's why it polarizes um, opinion, and it polarizes whether people take it seriously. I don't know, but it's it's not a, it's not a subject matter that I think will ever lose interest. I mean, if we think about how long human beings have been fascinated with what happens to us after death, I mean, that's that's as old as earliest human beings, isn't it? So yeah,
1: that's right, because you know. If you look at um, this paranormal supernatural, the Stonehenge predates Christianity by thousands of years. They had a strong belief in some form of afterlife, the reason why they went to the extraordinary lengths that they did do to build these structures. So, see, it predates Christianity by quite a big margin. And I think um, I'm not a particularly. Um, I, I will regard myself as agnostic and a spiritualist. I, I'm certainly not uh, religious, and to that extent, um, you know, I think it's at its day, to be honest, you know. Um, spiritualists generally get on okay together. You never get attacked by a spiritualist, do you? Um, no. It doesn't happen, so... But yeah, I think um, at some point in time, we, we'll probably get there thinking, ah, yeah, I was right, all uh what happens now so yeah but in the moment I was doing scratching the surface continue scratch the surface and hopeful hopefully to to find a couple more answers and, uh, oh yeah
0: honestly it's been so fascinating to talk to you and you are such a wealth of of knowledge and you know I will make sure to put all of your details onto the podcast description notes so people can come in and see your website um be able to access some of the material that you've got on there and um you know the, the different things that you've collated as a you know as a really useful resource bank and yeah honestly thank you so much for your time it's honestly been absolutely fascinating no, and I've we, could, we could talk about anything we could have gone down the route of poltergeist we could have gone down the route of in terms of the the land this you know the geography of the land how that might impact i mean there's so many different things That we could have spoken about and we would have been here for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. hours. That's just how complex um, this field is I think.
1: Well maybe uh, some other point if we ever do another one we can we can lock into how to run a case where you do look into the location in depth traveling back into into it trying to find the answers why these things happen when the matrix suddenly fractured and you've got a poltergeist uh, running around the property, um, so yeah. That's yeah, it. that
0: w- yeah, that would be a really interesting one. I think that would be great for a future podcast. You're welcome back for that one anytime.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no problem at all. So we'll look. We should look forward to speaking again. It's it's some tough point in the future.
0: Hopefully, honestly, it's been such a pleasure, and um, I say goodbye to everybody listening. No. Bye, everybody.
1: Okay, bye.